0: That's the thing is sometimes we take what we know and we think we have to teach like something so much bigger instead of just going, this is my expertise and my experience, this little piece right here. Start with that. Everybody has something that they are amazing at, that they have figured out and you can teach the tiniest piece of something to get started and generate the results so that you are ready to teach the next piece. That's one of the mistakes that we make sometimes is we think... Okay. Well, I got to teach this, this piece right here. Cause this is the, this is the money piece. This is the whatever piece. Right. And it works so much better. And it's so much easier to be confident in the offer when it's a piece you know you are amazing at. And I love that you refocused it around the traffic piece. I think the bigger conversation around that is knowing the end goal. And this goes back to feeling confident in sales. One thing that I realized quite a while back in business was, Too often we're looking at what's the value of what we do in terms of how many pages is the ebook? How many tactical things did we include? How many videos are in it? What are other courses going for in this area? Well, if I go to Amazon, I can get a book for $29.95 that'll teach me this. So I guess that's what my course needs to be priced at. And then we feel guilty for putting a higher price tag on something.
1: And we're not looking at the value piece of it. Welcome to the positive productivity podcast. Episode 671. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton. And if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton. And I am so excited to introduce you to our guest today. Who, now that I think about it, Michelle, Michelle's our guest, but Michelle, how would you like to co-host today? Because I had one of these experiences earlier this week where the guest actually offered, I should have asked you this before I push record, to co-host and it just seemed to take it to a whole different level. Well, cool. I'm up for that. And it was so, (laughs) so much, I mean, the show is normally conversational, but it just seemed even more conversational. Michelle Schaefer is the host of the Art of Giving a Damn podcast, the co-host of Planet Business. My screen just got covered by my system tray on my <laughs> on my computer. <laughs> Welcome to positive productivity where it's not about perfection, but it doesn't have to be painful either. She's a blog and content marketing genius and the founder of of Empath Entrepreneur Academy. Did I get that all right? You did. That was perfect. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Those darn Mac system trays when you put your cursor down there and they pop up and then cover up what you're trying to read. (laughs) (laughs) That is precisely why I do not do introductions because things like that happen.
0: Oh yeah.
1: You never know what's going to happen when you're recording live. Absolutely. But listeners, Michelle and I met almost, well, what, two and a half years ago? Yeah, almost three years ago now, I think. I know, which is just so crazy. And I have so seen that everything happens for a reason, delays happen for a reason, and there is serendipitous synchronicity with every time something gets delayed from when we originally planned on doing it, that it happens at exactly the right time. Absolutely. Would you mind sharing a little bit more of your journey with the listeners? And then I'm just so interested to hear what you have to say, because I know that We will have that serendipitous synchronicity today. And listeners, by the way, we got a whole one inch of snow last night. So you very well might hear the Sutton clan in the background. That is not Michelle being an irresponsible podcast (laughs) guest. That is so my kids, just one door away.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: That actually ties right in with
0: why and how I started my business. Back in about 2000, I had just had my, my oldest son. And he was a baby. And you know, I was in one of those situations where I was like, okay, I need to make some money. Uh, what can I do from home? Because I didn't want to leave him all day. And any of us who are moms know, by the time you do the math on what it costs for somebody else to take care of your kid all day and all of the expenses that come along with that, you're basically working just to pay the babysitter with most out-of-the-home jobs. And so I started looking at what can I do online? And I had, as a teenager built websites and and done some things like that so I thought well let me just try that. So I started a business designing websites and helping people get traffic because I understood the basics of SEO at the time. And from there it kind of just snowballed into where it's at. I tell people all the time I really was an accidental entrepreneur. I did not set out with like this grand plan of let me build a business, let me create this empire, nothing like that. It was I need to buy groceries. How can I afford to buy groceries? What can I do to take care of my kiddo? And, you know, fast forward a few years, I had been doing a lot of website design, virtual assistance work, basically any project that I could get somebody to say yes to that I had the skills for, right? And I started a blog also accidentally. I was answering the same questions for people who were clients or not clients yet over and over and over and over again. And I'm like, I got to save these answers somewhere. So I'm not retyping it constantly. And I asked the assistant that I had hired at the time, I'm like, what's the fastest way to publish something online? And they're like, well, there's this new thing. B2 just became WordPress and it's really easy to use. Let's install that. I'm like, cool. I didn't even like consciously know it was a blog. (laughs) It was just like, awesome. There's something we could use. Perfect. Get that installed. And every time I type out an answer for a client or somebody I was in conversation with, I would kind of take out the personal parts and turn it into something that I could have my VA publish. So I started publishing basically just my answers to people's questions. And before I knew it, people were reaching out to me, which was weird because I had always gone after every client I had got up until that point. And people started reaching out to me and going, can I hire you for XYZ? I'm like, how did you even find me? You're not from this tiny little natural parenting community where I get all my clients. How did you find me? They're like, well, I Googled this question and your blog came up. And that was when I started to realize the power of content marketing because I realized that the people who were coming to me asking me those questions, I didn't have to sell them. I didn't have to like convince them that I could handle the job that I knew what I was doing they came to me after reading that content already realizing I could handle what it was they needed that I could solve their problem because I was answering questions. And so things started to grow from there and I started to realize oh if I take this blog thing seriously I won't have to go after clients which for I'm a very introverted very quiet person and for me that was like It was amazing right? to have people coming to me, asking me, how could we work together? And so I got more serious about the blogging, huge learning curve. Like My early blog posts were horrible, no personality, the driest thing in the world. But I started to figure out as I shared more of my story, of my personality in it, that then not only were clients coming to me asking how to hire me, but we were getting along better because they had an idea of who I was before they asked to work with me. And so I was finding people who were a better match. And I remember I had had my second kiddo and I was starting to try to figure out, okay, now how do I turn this into an actual business at that point? How do I get some consistency in it so I can rely on it? And it was still at that point, very focused on me. Like this was my business. It was so that I can make money. It was I wasn't really looking at, can I have an impact with this? What can I do bigger than just me? And I remember one morning I woke up and I had this email in my inbox From somebody and I had, I had shared a very personal blog post about how hard it had been to get started in business and some of my struggles and the things that I had to work through mindset wise and and all of these different pieces. And this lady wrote me and I I remember looking at the timestamp on the email and it was like 3 a.m. when she had sent it. And she told me that she wanted to give up on her business, but she found my blog in the middle of the night and that post gave her the courage to keep going because she saw the light at the end of the tunnel and she Mm -hmm. realized she wasn't alone. And that was the moment where things flipped for me. And I realized, oh, this really is about more than me.
1: Wow. When was that? Do you remember?
0: Oh, that was probably about 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, maybe a little bit longer. Wow. Yeah. It's been a while. Well, let's see. My middle kiddo was about one or two at the time. So I guess
1: that's been, oh my gosh, like 16 years. Oh my gosh. Okay. Time flies. flies. Well, I am just blown away because in the last two and a half years, we have spent a good month in the same room, different rooms, but the same room. Right. And I never (laughs) knew this story. Yeah. But part of that is because I'm also the introvert.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you put two introverts together and it
1: always it makes an interesting uh-huh. conversation. <laughs> it does. But we always have good conversations. It's just yes. we are we've been in the same room which is full of, I would have to say, non-introverts. Yes. That's and very true. <laughs> we were doing what we needed to do in this big room in mm-hmm. in our separate corners. Like not that we were put in yeah. corners, but we just never had that opportunity. And I love oh, it's a good thing that we didn't have this conversation before. I just got to say <laughs> that because I have just started answering those frequently asked questions on YouTube or oh, on awesome. Facebook lives yeah. and then converting them into blog articles. And it's had a I-
0: Fantastic strategy.
1: Yeah. I I just can't believe that I, well, I was scared of video. Well, you've seen the major transformation with me, like being yeah. feeling like I needed to be who everybody else is. I don't even know what I thought I needed to be, but it included bangs, which was such a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. For me, for me, like I got my hair cut for that first time that we met and I was wearing all these clothes that I was just so uncomfortable in and shoes that I was uncomfortable in because I felt like I needed to be something besides who I was.
0: Oh man, do I understand that feeling? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And you can wear heels and you look good in heels and I've seen you wear heels and you walk you walk like you're meant to be in them. So I appreciate that, but funny story, the first business event I ever went to,
0: I basically had never worn heels, right? Because that's not me either. And I thought I had to show up a certain way. At the time where I was that in my business, I was not doing well financially, right? I was still in like getting started phases and I remember deciding to go to this event and it was a huge decision for me because like spending that money, I didn't really have it, right? And I know most of us as as entrepreneurs, especially if we accidentally fell into it, have been in that place, right? Where you're making the decisions like, I know to to invest in this, I'm not going to be able to afford something else until you really get on your feet with it. And I borrowed clothes for my mom to go because I didn't actually have anything appropriate to wear. And she helped me, you know, find some things in her closet that I could borrow. But I was wearing heels and I was so uncomfortable in them. The first morning I walked into that room. And as I went to walk out at one of the breaks, it fell all over myself, like just like total wipeout all over the floor. I was so embarrassed. But it was from that same feeling of this is how I have to show up. I need to look professional. I, I need to wear the heels. And I've done a lot of practicing of walking in heels since then. <laughs>
1: Oh my goodness. Well, at that first event that you and I met at, yeah. On the final day I was wearing this shirt dress thing that uh-huh. has been in my drawer. Not even hung up in the closet, but it has been in my drawer ever since. And there were videographers walking around the room. You probably remember that. Yep. And I had made friends with one of the videographers, and he's like, Kim, check your buttons. Oh, <laughs> And My boobs are hanging out and I'm oh like, oh Lord. my gosh, like I am comfortable in t-shirts and yoga pants <laughs> and flip flops and oh I have not worn a button down shirt to one of those events since or any event decision. since like yet. Yeah. I need my my boobs <laughs> to stay in my shirt. Thank you very much. But, you know, that's
0: one reason it's a good idea to make friends with people on the team mm-hmm. and with the staff because they
1: will heads up you about things like that. <laughs> uh-huh. But I want to go back to the blog. Like I started a blog. My business was an accidental business as well. Mm-hmm. I started my business because my husband started school to become a video game designer. Quit. Gotcha. Well, he had lost his job the week that we got married. Oh my goodness. So right away, I was like, and it was like the fourth or fifth job he had lost since we had gotten together. I was like, this is God's way of saying, this is not what you are supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be pursuing your your childhood dream. Yeah. So he went back to school and I had lost my job when the economy crashed. So right. I was making like $12 an hour as an administrative assistant. So I started my business as a way to make side income mm-hmm. and I started blogging and I was writing what I thought other people wanted to read. Right. Like why every small business owner needs life insurance. Mm. Michelle, to this day, eight years later, I do not have life insurance. (laughs) (laughs) And thankfully, that same week that we met, my sites were hacked and all those blog articles went poof. Those were some of the articles that were not retrieved from archive.org or whatever it is, because... They were not me. They're out there somewhere, people, but I wouldn't <laughs> recommend reading them. It's a waste of time. You have better things to do.
0: Oh, man, can I identify with that feeling? I tell people all the time about my early blog posts. I'm like, yeah, I started blogging like way back in 2008, but please don't ever go back and read those archives.
1: <laughs> yeah. What is one of your favorite articles that you wrote? Oh,
0: boy, that's a great question. So, you know, I think one thing that I figured out. Was there is a balance between what I want to write about and what's valuable for people to read. And so (laughs) some of my favorite articles to write have not necessarily been the ones that did the best, which I always find interesting. I think as far as best articles on my blog, some of those would be the ones where I do like these massive list posts. You know, here's a hundred plus ways to get traffic to your blog. Here's. 42 things you can do in just five minutes to move your business forward, to build visibility, things like that. I've got one that's a whole bunch of headline templates. That one did really, really well. People liked that. And I found that one thing about blogging that's very different from sales because right, content marketing is marketing. Sales is different. And on the marketing side of it, one of the things that I found really works, first of all, of course, answering people's questions but also options. Because if you see a blog post that like, here's 101 ways to get traffic to your site, most people are going to click through and look at that because out of 101 ways, hey, I bet there's at least three or four that I haven't seen before and that'll work for me. Uh So there's that element to it. And I think some of those have been my best in terms of what people found valuable, what they commented on and what they share. In terms of posts that have been turning points in my business, and especially as an introvert have been really like aha moments for me was uh, it's probably been probably about fifteen years now because it was around that same time that I mentioned where I was kind of figuring out like how do I make this work? How do I do this in a way that that people want to read that's interesting, right? because a lot of my early stuff, I didn't necessarily write. Things like why to get insurance, but I was writing from a very technical point of view, like that way we're taught in school, right? Perfect English grammar. Every paragraph should be four to six sentences with a topic sentence at the beginning, supporting sentences, and then your conclusion, right? I was trying to write that way. It was the most boring thing in the world. And I remember one blog post, I got really brave. And this this actually took a lot of bravery for me. It's going to sound like ridiculous, but I got really brave for me. And I made a Star Trek joke in it. And I got so many emails from people and comments on that blog post, not about the content, but about the fact that they were Star Trek fans. And that was when I realized, like, if I put a little bit of personality in this and I actually be myself, people like that. I was like, that was mind blowing for me (laughs) to realize. And now I'm a lot more open with what I share on my blog or in my emails, people know I'll show personal stories all the time now. But as far as like best blog posts from the perspective of huge mindset shifts, that was
1: it. I absolutely love that because I hate myself. Yep. And I don't think this had happened yet when we were chatting about six months ago, but I had put off writing my book, which I've been talking about for five years because I didn't know how to write it. Gotcha. I was trying to yeah. find the voice and I thought it needed to be somebody else's voice. Even mm-hmm. though I had already figured it out in my business like that I could be there, I hadn't figured it out for my book yet. Michelle, I finally figured it out. I finally wrote the introduction. And in the book is Chronic Idea Disorder, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Overcoming Idea Overwhelm. I finally figured out, or I was joking with somebody about how chronic idea disorder is like bad sex. you can go for it forever but you're just never gonna get there a lot of people don't see my humor and my humor can be really bad (laughs) I mean bad jokes but I mean also like off-color jokes yeah and I realized you know My introduction could very well turn people off. Yes, pun intended. But for the people that it does turn off, they're not my ideal people anyway. But if I'm going to hide myself throughout my whole book, then it is never going to get written because I'm not going to know how to write it.
0: Well, and when you're willing to share that kind of stuff, people really connect with it, right? You're a real person to them. And I think the thing that sometimes we forget and and this goes back to like the story you shared about feeling like you needed to dress a certain way, show up a certain way. We feel that. And when we're so focused on that, like perception piece of it, of I've got to appear professional, I've got to appear all buttoned up, I've got to come across the right way. We forget that how people really learn is through stories. And it's things like that joke you just made that are memorable, right? I could sit and watch somebody present for 15 hours on how to do Facebook ads or how to do some piece of things that they teach. But if there's no story in it, if there's no mm-hmm. illustrations, no humor, no interest, I'm not going to remember hardly any of it. But if they draw those parallels and make those illustrations and share the stories, I'll remember it. And that's such an important thing, I think, for anybody doing well business at all, but especially any sort of content marketing. I mean, like, how boring would podcasts be if we never shared anything personal or like our perspective on things?
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. This is not professional at all. And I'm sorry. And I will edit this out if you ask me to. Okay. (laughs) But about, well, it was just about a year ago that I stumbled into a restaurant where Michelle was. And there was a little contest going on. And I jumped into the contest. And It was a drinking contest and I promptly (laughs) won. And I will not even share how many shots won me that. But the next morning I had alcohol coming out of my eyeballs, but I did not have a hangover. (laughs) Michelle, I just need to share. like, What I realized was that by in the last six months since we were last together is that by not being true to myself, all that extra stress came along with it. Mm. And I was actually using drinking to... Subdue the stress and the anxiety from not being myself. And I stopped drinking. I am now, I'm nearly three months without any alcohol. And it feels, I miss it. (laughs) I miss it, I gotta say, because like there's just some days that my five kids just make me want to drink an (laughs) imperium of margarita. But at the same time, like I am, I'm being so true to myself that I don't feel so compelled to drink all the time and i'm not telling people to stop drinking i just want to make that clear oh, this no, was a, I, a decision yeah. that i made on my own but i found that the the just the level of stress when i finally let myself be me was mm-hmm. amazing how did your business transform then after you know you, you really just started putting you into it and you were doing websites you were doing va work what do you do now <laughs>
0: Oh, what is what does my business want to be when it grows up? Um
1: I know, right? So, you know, I still a, a ask myself that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's an important question to keep asking yourself because there's an evolution that happens in terms of not just what you do in business, but really who you are, how you show up, what you want to accomplish. And I think some of that you really do figure out as you go. You know, I can I can identify with the story you shared because I remember when I was going through my divorce. I was having a really hard time with it and my daughter one day said something to me about drinking And it made me realize okay that has to change And the same thing you know no judgment on people's decisions, but I think we all have to know when something has become A crutch or has become something that we're relying on too much And we have to be aware enough to say okay. I can change that and You know, sometimes we draw those boundaries as a temporary thing to kind of get ourselves back, uh, get our heads screwed back on straight. And sometimes it's a more permanent thing. And I think it's, it's really important to like look at those things and figure them out because I have a coach who always says, you know, if you want to grow as a person, start a business because it'll be the hardest self development thing you've ever done in your life.
1: Amen to that. Yes.
0: It's so true, right? All of your crap comes up when you're trying to run a business. And that was as my business transitioned, because I was, I was doing a lot of website design. I was working as a VA. And as I started to transition it, oh my gosh, so much stuff came up for me around, is this good enough? Am I good enough? Do I really know what I'm doing? Can I actually teach this? All of those things. And I went from doing a lot of website design and VA type work to writing ebooks and trying to put together some courses. And it's funny because you know we tend to look at people and go, okay, you're successful. Everything must have always just worked out for you. And people assume that. And when I'm working with clients, sometimes we get into these hilarious conversations because they're like, well, I put this out there and it didn't sell. And I'm like, hey, welcome to the club. That's success. Now we know what to change. (laughs) Uh And we get in the conversation. I'm like, yeah, the first ebooks I wrote, nobody bought. Because I wrote what I thought people needed instead of looking at what do people actually want? Because you've got to sell people what they want and then give them what you know they need. right? And I started trying to transition because I realized, first off, I was working crazy hours. I couldn't keep up with it. I was going whole nights without sleep to keep my business running. And so I started looking at how do I scale? How do I change things? And I wrote some eBooks. They did not go over well. So anybody out there listening who's like, this isn't selling, don't worry. Just put something else out there. You will find the thing. You just can't give up. And you've just got to keep at it until you find it. So I put some eBooks out, started to figure out, okay, what do people actually want to buy? What does my audience specifically want to learn from me? And I finally started getting brave enough to do teleseminars. Back then, webinars weren't really a thing yet. Um, So I was using instant teleseminar. I started teaching. I started doing a little bit more consulting and coaching and slowly transitioned into that, discovered that I really love that piece of things, uh, especially working with entrepreneurs who are just getting started. Because I think one thing that happens is there's a lot of support for once you're at six figures, how do you scale beyond that? But there's not as much for getting started and under that because that's a hard audience to work with because it's not really tactical or strategic. It's more mindset. And it's more learning the ins and outs of how to run a business, how to be a CEO, how to show up as that better version of you versus just the, here's how to hire, here's how to get more traffic, here's how to do ad spend. Tactical stuff is easier to coach around. Mindset stuff is a challenge. But I found I really enjoyed... Working with people because I feel like in that space, you can make such a difference for someone because a successful business can really change somebody's life. It changes their family's life. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a domino effect then of all the clients they can help. So I started transitioning into that. And what I do today is a lot more of coaching and consulting. So my business is a mix of, you know, you mentioned Empath Entrepreneur Academy. I work with a lot of empathic, more sensitive people who. A lot of them are introverts. A lot of them, the word sales will send them running. They you know, want to hide under something rather than have a sales conversation. And so a lot of what I do is really helping people to reframe the approach that they're taking to marketing and sales so they feel good about it. Because one thing that I know, like 1000% for sure, is if you don't feel great about your offer, if you don't feel great about having that sales conversation about what you can do, the problem you can solve, you will either avoid it or it will not go well. And then you're stressed. And then you end up in a situation where you hate your business. And that doesn't work, right? So, reframing that conversation for people and showing them how to enjoy the sales process, how to really see it for what it is, which is rescuing people. You have a solution that people need, and putting it out there really is being of service. And so that's a lot of what I do publicly is that type of consulting and coaching, working with my clients, helping them get sales happening, get consistency in their business, uh, and really getting that solid foundation in place. And then the other side of my business is I do consulting with bigger companies, bigger entrepreneurs, so seven, eight, nine figure businesses around marketing campaigns and things like that. I, I just wrapped up. I think you probably saw the project that I did with uh, Agora and Rich Sheffrin, And we did a 24-hour live stream where we had something like 40 guests on that he interviewed. So behind the scenes, I was working on mapping out that strategy with Rich and Mars and some others and then implementation on it to relaunch Rich's business and the Steeler Winners newsletter. So I get to have a lot of fun in my business because I'm working with entrepreneurs that are really just all over the spectrum. And I love that.
1: I wanted to take a quick break from today's episode and ask you if you need to take a break from your business maybe you're working too many hours maybe you're trying to work on too many things maybe you have too many clients who just really aren't aligned with your greater purpose if this sounds like you i want to offer you an opportunity to join the positive productivity pod my monthly mentorship and coaching community For only a dollar, you can jump in, get started and enjoy 10 days in the community where you will meet so many awesome entrepreneurs. And then twice a month, you'll be able to hop on a live call with all of us and get the feedback that you need in that very moment for your business. If you're interested in starting today for only a dollar, head on over to thekimsutton.com forward slash pod to get started. So I'm over here thinking about the Empath Entrepreneur Academy, and I was thinking, you are talking to like your ideal client. <laughs> I, mean, I just, just to put it into perspective, I had a bang-in interview with a dream client. Okay, like everything went great, mm-hmm. and it turned into yeah, we already mapped out eight months of work, but. And listeners, I'm sharing this all not to make myself look bad, but to let you know that you're not alone. She said, I need to meet with my team and just make sure that we do all these things in order like the team wants. And then can you text me next week? So Michelle, this is so embarrassing to admit, but I texted her and she went to straight talk. And then I just sort of, or not straight talk, small talk. Mm -hmm. It's like, well sales is so uncomfortable for me. I know I should have said, okay, so how do we begin? Well, guess what? It's been a week and a half. And I didn't, like, I was out of my own skin. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) what do I do now? Like, I wasn't expecting small talk. I was expecting, okay, how do I get started with you? But then I realized, like, and now I'm sort of like, okay, it's 10 days later. This is sort of too, like, is it too late to go back now and say, okay, and I feel really embarrassed now, but I cannot stand the sales conversation. Yeah. What I found was the biggest struggle for me, and I love that you said that you brought up that you were, that there were nights when you weren't sleeping. I was saying yes to everybody and everything, and it sounds like you went through the, a little bit of that period too. If you could do it, you would say yes to it because yep. that was a bit of that time. But when I finally got clear on who my ideal client was and the work that I wanted to be doing for them, then I was able to start. And this is only a recent, like in the last two years type of thing start charging appropriately. Mm -hmm. And even that has been incremental step-ups. Yes. And then saying no to the people who really weren't my ideal, because even in the coaching space with business and life coaches, there are still business and life coaches who are not my ideal clients. Just because they are a business or life coach doesn't mean that we're going to work well together. Right. But getting crystal clear, and I see that have also seen that transition between the the business and life coaches who are making less than six figures a year Mm -hmm. and those who are making over because the ones who are making over six figures are generally pretty clear on what they do and the value that it offers to their clients. The ones under are more on in scarcity mindset, throwing pasta at the wall, trying to see what works and it's a lot more of panic mode. It is. Yeah. And, and it's easier to place blame on the tech not working when something yeah. doesn't go as planned. When, as you were saying, just because you create an ebook doesn't mean it's going to work. On my site, as of the day of this recording, I still have nine to 12 different lead magnets up there mm-hmm. because I was throwing pasta at the wall. <laughs> But I've finally yeah. gotten clear and I'm redesigning my site now. And yeah. there's only going to be three because even for me, I've become clear. And that clarity, am I making over six figures yet? No, I will admit that I'm not. But that clarity has provided me the light at the end of the tunnel that it's coming because now I'm not going to be confusing my audience because I'm putting 15 gazillion things out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a couple of things that that, that brings up for me. One is a book that I recommend to pretty much every single client I work with, especially if they're under six figures, especially if they're in that panic mode in business and there's a lot of blame happening is a book called Extreme Ownership. And it's really about shifting your mindset to how can I take extreme ownership for everything that happens in my life and business? How can I choose to be responsible and figure out what is within my control that i can do right and it's anybody who is struggling with that i highly recommend it like it it really helped me to look at my own business and my own interactions in a different way really really helpful because you realize you are in control And that's one of the biggest shifts you have to make to get past the six-figure mark is to take control and take responsibility and know if something breaks in my tech, okay, yes, it might be a platform thing. It might be somebody else pushed the wrong button, but I am the one who is ultimately responsible for that. And the only way I can change things is to look at it and go, okay, moving forward, what can I do differently to prevent this next time? Right. It doesn't, it doesn't help to go into blame mode. Instead, you just have to take ownership of it and say, okay, that happened. And here's what's next. This really goes into leadership, right? And how to find that self belief to check your ego and to be willing to say, okay, here's what I'm going to do differently. Because we are the ones that are in control of our businesses. And when we blame other people for things, whether it's the person we hired to do a funnel, whether it's our VA, whether it's the coach who gave us advice to do X, Y, Z, when we abdicate our own responsibility, we're letting go of control and you cannot win that way. You have to take control and you have to take ownership of it. So that's the first thing. Second thing, an exercise that I have my clients do, there's actually two two exercises around offers. Whenever people put an offer together, I ask them, and normally we do this the other way. We normally sit down and go, okay, so what are my clients' potential clients' objections going to be? Which is a good exercise to do. You've got to know that, right? But you need to know what your own objections are to that offer because you mm. need an offer that you have bulletproof confidence in. I realized this a couple of years ago. I put together an offer that was basically about how to grow your list, how to grow subscribers quickly, and I was having trouble selling it. Like I didn't want to get on sales calls. I was really, I wasn't confident on them. And I was like, what is going on? And so I sat down for myself and realized I had some objections to my own offer. And I went, okay, so what are the missing pieces? And I realized there were a couple of really key things that if I added that to the offer, then I felt great about it. And so that's the first thing is sit down and look at your offer and go, where are your objections to this? What are the things that you're not confident in about your offer? Make that list so that you can fix it. For me, it was, I knew that for it to work, the people had to have certain connections. They had to use a collaborative approach to marketing. And so when I added in training around that and I went, oh, I can connect people. I have an amazing network. If I do that and I show them what to do with it, Then I know this will work for everybody because it doesn't rely on them having their own connections. I can fill in that gap. Then I felt great about the offer and I was able to go out and enroll people into the program. So that's the first thing is really look at your offer and figure out what are your objections to it? Where are you not feeling like people might not get a result? Like what's missing from it and how do you bring that in? The second piece is have an absolute no list. So anytime I put something out now, I have a list both of qualifications and of red flags. And before I get on a sales call with a client, I go over that list. And in my head, I know if there are certain things that aren't in place in somebody's business, I don't care if they have a credit card that they can give me. I will say no to working with them because it's not going to work for them yet. And I have to be confident enough in knowing what are my requirements to get the right clients in. And so I have that list of here's the basics that need to be in place, or here's the things they need to be willing to do. And here are the absolute red flags. So there are certain phrases, certain things potential clients say that I know if I hear it, we are not a good fit to work together. And I am happy to refer them to someone else.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh, I can give you a huge, ginormous hug for (laughs) all of that. And I mean, just before we pushed record, I told you I had to do some of my own self-reflection, number one, on the blame thing, because I had a lot of blame about six months ago. But when I took time to do my own self-reflection and realized that I had to take ownership, Mm -hmm. that's when everything started to shift. And then about the program, one of our mutual connections had provided me a recommended name for a program that I'm putting out, Mm -hmm. and it was going to be profiting from Pinterest. And I had real reluctance. I stalled building the program forever because I couldn't connect with the name. I'm not profiting from Pinterest. So how can I teach others how to profit from Pinterest? But I know how to generate massive traffic from Pinterest. So I changed the name, but I love how you just said that because there are elements. I realized that my own system was broken. I mean, you're going to love this part like i was leading people from pinterest to blog articles that had no call to action in them oh my right so <laughs> if i had just had that call to action if i was clear about the right. the freebie or the lead magnet and i had a solid funnel on the back end then goodness yeah i could have been profiting from pinterest yes so that will be like the secondary program that i offer mm-hmm. that's not just for podcasters but that will include the component You know, a component on lead generation and how to get people into the funnel without being a whole funnel program. So that, thank you. That just you just built my second program. Thank you. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) And then reluctance won't be there anymore. Yes, that's the thing. Is sometimes we
0: take what we know and we think we have to teach like something so much bigger instead of just going. This is my expertise and my experience. This little piece right here. Start with that. Everybody has something. That they are amazing at, that they have figured out, and you can teach the tiniest piece of something to get started and generate the results, so that you are ready to teach the next piece. That's one of the mistakes that we make sometimes is we think, okay, well, I got to teach this this piece right here because this is the this is the money piece, this is the whatever piece, right? And it works so much better, and it's so much easier to be confident in the offer when it's a piece you know you are amazing at. And I love that you refocused it around the traffic piece. I think the bigger conversation around that is knowing the end goal. And this goes back to feeling confident in sales. One thing that I realized quite a while back in business was too often we're looking at what's the value of what we do in terms of how many pages is the ebook. How many tactical things did we include? How many videos are in it? What are other courses going for in this area? Well, if I go to Amazon, I can get a book for $29.95 that'll teach me this. So I guess that's what my course needs to be priced at. And then we feel guilty for putting a higher price tag on something. And we're not looking at the value piece of it. You know, and it's, it's partially about finding the value, but it's also partially about finding the right client. Because if you look at what you're teaching in a traffic course for Pinterest... If I'm just getting started and I don't have call to actions, I don't have sales pieces, me generating a lot of traffic, I'm not going to see the value of investing in it because I don't know what to do with the traffic. But if I have a blog or if I have a podcast that's converting that I'm getting clients from, Uh and let's say my average sale price is anywhere from $1,000 to $5,000 for a new client. If you teach me how to get traffic from Pinterest and I get just one new client a month, Right. How much is your course worth to me? Right. One of the things that really hurts us in terms of sales is too often we either think what we're doing isn't valuable or we feel like nobody wants it or we feel like it's, it's not worth what, what we feel like it might be worth. Like there's all of that uncertainty and we feel like we suck at sales conversations when really the only problem is we're talking to the wrong people. The wrong person will never see the value in what we have to offer. But if you get it in front of the right person who can get the biggest result from it, then it's worth it, like an immeasurable amount, right? You know, the campaign that, that I just worked on and mapped out to the right person, to the right company, that campaign's worth a million bucks. But to somebody who has none of the connections, none of the technology, none of the background experience, it's not even worth $7. Right. Because they don't know what to do with it. And so part of the problem that we run into with sales is if we get on 10 sales calls with 10 people who literally cannot afford what we're doing and do not see the value in it, we will walk away feeling like we are the worst salesperson on earth and and you lose your confidence. When really the problem is, you don't have the right filter in place yet because you really want to help people. So you want to get on the phone with anybody instead of going, no, who's the right person for me to really make a difference for? And when you give yourself permission to do that, Everything changes in the sales conversation because the person you're on the phone with sees the value in what you do. And it becomes an entirely different conversation.
1: Michelle, just in the last month was the this is the first time that I have ever had confidence in the value that I provided to clients. And I'm I'm embarrassed, but not embarrassed to admit that this is the first time I've had confidence in what I delivered to clients enough to ask them for video testimonials. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. And I don't know what was stopping me before then, but it might have also been because I was still undervaluing, just like you said, like I was undervaluing what I was providing. So I was having to take on too much. When you take on too much, you're under delivering, in my opinion, because you're over, you're overcommitted. You've got too much going on. You can't provide the service that you want to I just didn't feel confident in asking because I knew I hadn't delivered to my utmost potential and that felt like poo to me. But then allowing myself that time and that space to start saying no to people and to start having conversations. I mean, I started having conversations with people who had purchased funnels. They had paid $10,000 or more for funnels and not had them delivered and for two years, I was charging $2,500 for a fully built out funnel. And so when I started to hear that these people were paying $5,000, 10000 $15,000 or more, I was like, oh my gosh, what rock have I been under? <laughs> and I was yeah. scared to go into that first sales call and double my price. And you know what happened? I got an immediate yes. I was like, oh, <laughs> it was that easy? It is that easy if you're talking to it the right person. Be. Yes, that's
0: the thing. It can be. If you're confident in the value of your offer and you're talking to the right person, then it's not a scary call at all. And that's that's where you've really got to find your confidence in what you're offering. You know, I had I had a conversation with somebody who was a relationship coach like forever ago and they were charging I don't know, it was something like $25 an hour or something crazy. And the conversation I had with them, and this is something that I believe everybody in business needs to do, is do the math on the value of what you bring. Not just in terms of benefits, not just in terms of, you know, what can you make off of this, but what happens if the person doesn't get help? And when you look at something like relationship coaching, It's easy to go, well, there's not really a price tag, a number I can put on having a good relationship, right? I mean, yeah, there's less stress. Yeah, you'll probably live long. It's hard to put a number on that, but it's real easy to put a number on what divorce costs, what a lawyer's cost, what does it cost to split up everything that you own? What's it going to cost your kids in terms of therapy? When you start looking at the result of somebody not taking action and not getting help to solve a problem... You can real quick figure out what's it going to cost them if they don't say yes. And when you look at that, you suddenly realize the amazing value of what you can offer, whether it's relationship coaching, health coaching, business stuff. You know, if you look at the value of a funnel, if I don't have a funnel in place, how many opportunities am I missing? Right? I mean, there's so many things. I, I can't say I missed 10 clients this month because I didn't have a funnel that was in place and working but I probably do if I don't have a funnel in place and working, right? And if the value okay. of a client lifetime is $5,000, I just missed out on 50K in one month. Yep. You know. And when we do that kind of math, suddenly we realize what a good deal most of us are offering in terms of the solutions that we bring to people. So you've really got to look at both sides of that, of not just what's the potential gain, but what's the potential loss if a problem isn't solved? And I found that that can really help in having the confidence to raise your prices and to go after things. But it's one of those things that it really does just come from making a decision that you know what you do is super valuable to the right person. To the right person, 5K for a funnel is an easy yes.
1: Right. I was having a conversation with a coach right before Thanksgiving, so right before Mm -hmm. Black Friday. And I was talking about how I wasn't going to be putting out any offers around the holidays. And she asked, well, why not? And I said, well, in my experience, I've always had you know financial hardship around the holidays and I don't mm-hmm. want to put that type of financial hardship on other people. She says, Kim, <laughs> what if having that funnel set up could prevent somebody's financial hardship from this year forward? Yeah. What if having your own funnel properly set up could prevent your financial hardship from this year forward? It's like, holy moly, I never thought about that. Yeah.
0: The other thing with that is we have to remember, especially those of us who started our business from a place of like desperation, right? A a lot of people, a lot of people started from that place of, I mean, I, I remember. I literally had no food in my apartment. And and that's a whole different story. But if I keep myself like mindset wise, thinking about my client in that position, I am saying no for them because of some judgment that I've placed on them. And that's not fair to potential clients. Some people have 5K, 10K, 100K in the bank that it's easy for them to say yes. And it's not putting them in any sort of hardship. And we forget because of our own personal financial situation sometimes. I've had people not make me offers because they didn't want to ask me to spend certain amounts of money. And I'm like, that actually would not be a hardship. I would be happy to invest in that. In fact, I invested with somebody else because you didn't make me an offer. I wish you had. Yeah, I've had that conversation with people before of do not make the decision for a potential client. Give them the opportunity let them make that decision. And I am really glad looking back, the first business event that I went to, if the person who invited me had known my financial situation, they never would have invited me. Hmm. But they allowed me to make that decision for myself. And it was one of the biggest turning points in my business. I don't believe I would be where I'm at. I know I wouldn't be where I'm at today had I not decided to take the risk and go to that event. So one of the things I tell clients all the time is do not make decisions for your clients. Because sometimes, don't pressure people into stuff either. Don't sell somebody something that is a bad fit for them just because you, you want to take their credit card, right? That's equally horrible. <laughs> um, so I'm not advocating that at all. But what I am saying is sometimes putting ourselves into a position of a little bit of stretch is actually what causes us to get the result because we're motivated. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can't make that decision for somebody else. We have to always remember we are not our client. Our ideal clients may be in a totally different space than what we think. And so that's just, that's kind of a soapbox issue for me. If you can't tell, it's like, don't make a decision for the potential client. You don't actually know their situation. And there might be somebody that's just waiting and has that money to invest and, in, and chooses to invest it that way if they see the value in what you offer.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm absolutely loving that. I mean, somebody could look at my driveway and see the 96 conversion van sitting in the driveway and judge me. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) It's so funny what we judge people on, right? Mm -hmm. And and our default assumptions tend to be no instead of yes. That's one thing that I, I have to work on myself because that is, it's easy to default to They're going to say, no, they're not going to see the value in this. Why am I even getting on this phone call? If I follow up with the person, they're probably going to just say no or ignore me or take the risk because you may be totally wrong and they may just need really that vote of confidence. That's one thing I've realized. Like a lot of times I've said yes to coaches or to programs. It's because they followed up one more time, probably beyond what felt comfortable for them, but I'm so glad they did. Because I needed them to ask me that one more time. Because to me, that comes across as a vote of confidence in what I'm doing to know that they feel like I'm capable of something bigger, of something more, to know that they feel like now's the right time. And you've really got to, you've got to be in a position of trust with your potential clients to do that right. But if you've had that consultation conversation and you know, That them saying yes to getting a funnel built or hiring a business coach or whatever that next step is, is really the next thing that's going to transform their results in business. Then reaching out again and just saying, hey, let's get started. I'm excited about your project. Maybe that little bit of faith that they need to borrow from you in order to take that next step. And we forget that about the sales process sometimes, that it really is us being there to kind of loan somebody our belief in them so that they can feel confident taking that next step that they've got a hand to
1: hold. I would love your opinion on one thing though about that. Sure. I see all the merit in that and I totally agree with everything. I just put together my sales page for Feel Good Funnels. That's what I'm calling my funnel offering. Oh, I like that. (laughs) And I actually tell people who I don't want in the program before I introduced the program. And the reason why is because I've worked with so many people who will make 10,000 excuses for why they didn't get things done instead of getting them done. So I put, Mm -hmm. you know, if you are so overwhelmed with other projects, if you have so many other courses on your plate, if you do not know how you're going to, you know, buy your next package of ramen, then book this page and come back later.
0: Right. Don't get it right now. That's, I like that.
1: Okay. So totally you're agree. in your opinion, like I would just love to know your opinion. That's not making a sure. decision for them.
0: No. So I think, and one of the things that's really important that people get confused about a lot is the difference in selling a do-it-yourself program and in selling coaching and consulting, because there is a huge difference in those things. Mm-hmm. When I invest in a program, especially if it's self-guided, it's up to me to do the work, right? And I think it's important to tell people, like this is what it's going to take. If these behaviors describe you, you got to change those behaviors before you buy this course because it's not going to work. And there is a place in really well-done sales and marketing to shift people's beliefs. That's what it should do. It should help people go, oh, you know what? I am doing that. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm making the decision right now to approach this thing differently. Right, And they can't do that if they don't have that realization moment of, oh, yeah, that is what I'm doing. That, that's not what I want to do, right? When it comes to a course or something instructional like that, if I buy it, it's on me to go through that and get the result. And it's helpful to have that real talk of you've got to be willing to do the work. You've got to be willing to focus on this. If you won't focus, you won't get a result, uh-huh. right? The difference in the coaching model to me is when I'm having that conversation with somebody who could be a client, ethically, I need to figure out, is this someone who I am confident that I can help? If I'm confident I can help them, yes, it's partially on them to do the work. But it's also my job as a coach to work with them to take responsibility to a certain extent for helping them work through the mindset crap that's holding them back. Right. Um, so calling people out on um, things and holding them accountable is part of what a good coach should do. It's not just about, hey, here's your next three steps, go do these. I
1: um, absolutely love that. And so there's a huge difference. I was on Twitter a couple of weeks ago and I saw Laura Roder, the founder of Meet Edgar, put up mm-hmm. a she tweeted and I it was just a chance encounter on Twitter because I hadn't been on there for for months probably, but she put that she was looking for beta users for a new invoicing and scheduling tool that she was putting out for coaches and consultants. So I had a little conversation with her and because so many of my clients, they sell a coaching package and then they don't, (laughs) their backend is messy enough that they don't know how to track how many people or who's had how many calls. So this Laura's program actually takes care of that. And then she wanted to know if it would work for my business. And my first response was, well, no, my clients that I'm building funnels for actually have unlimited calls because I feel like limiting their calls would do them a disservice. And then we went on talking and it occurred to me that the clients who haven't finished their funnels had the unlimited calls, some of them an obscene number of calls and they're still not making the progress. Yeah. I was like, whole oh, And I thanked her. I was like, "Oh my gosh, you just shifted my whole offering. They don't need a hundred calls, or fifty, or twenty-five. They need eight, you know, max. And they need to do this, this, and this before they schedule their next call. You just freed up hundreds of hours of my time. Thank you. And." I was afraid of doing the clients a disservice by not allowing them open access to my calendar. And I realized in that very moment, I was doing them a disservice by not providing the tough love. Their excuse making shouldn't be clogging down my calendar for them. I mean, some of these people have taken a year and a half, two years to build their funnel. That's not okay. Yeah. I'm driving to Orlando next week for a conference. And... Thanks to you. I'll probably be listening to Extreme Ownership on the way down, but now I'm also, (laughs) like I was also already thinking about writing emails for my funnel and my book into Siri while I'm driving. So if I can do it, so can you. Michelle, this has been an amazing conversation. Where can listeners go to learn more about you, the Empath Entrepreneur Academy, your podcasts, and all that other great stuff that you do? Cool.
0: All right. Well, you can find me at Michelle Schaefer.com. That's uh, Michelle with two L's and S-H-A-E-F-F-E-R dot com. Or you can find me at theartofgivingadam.com or social media. I'm all over the place there. I'm just under Michelle Schaefer.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Listeners, if you are driving, if you're trying not to burn dinner, which I am really good at, you can go to thekimstatten.com forward slash pp671 and all the links, including about the books and any other resources that we've talked about will be right there. I feel like I just like Cut us off really fast, but I didn't mean to. I just, <laughs> no we have worries. covered so much. Listeners, I would love to hear your ahas too. So make sure to leave them down below. And if there's anything that you would like us to come back and do a part two on, please let us know. I mean, I'm up for it. Michelle, are you up for it? Absolutely.
0: This has been a great conversation.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And you, now I'm wondering what to do about that person who was ready to sign. I just need to open up the small talk a little bit.
0: Follow up. Yep. Follow up one more time. You know, and, and the thing to remember is when people reach out to us, it's because they want help, but it's scary to say yes to, right? Mm-hmm. It, it really is. If you put yourself in the other person's shoes, it's so easy to get distracted by the bazillion things life throws at us. And there's so many times, how many times do we even write it down on our list, follow up with X, and then we don't do it. And it's even easier to let that fall off the list when that follow-up involves an investment. So the biggest thing, not just for you, Kim, but for everybody listening is follow up one more time, just one more and give people that one more opportunity to say yes, because they reached out to you for a reason.
1: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast.